What's going on? Y'all know what time it is, man. It's Monday night, man. We back with another episode of the Reentry Journey, episode 10 to be exact. So we're making progress. We done heard some amazing stories. Tonight, i like to bring our guest to the forefront. Let her tell her story, everything that she's been through about her journey and reentry. She already just, we was talking earlier. She said that uh, reentry ain't, it ain't all fairy tales and what they want to paint it up like it's all good to be. I think we know that, so I'm excited to hear her story. Like to introduce our guest for tonight, Ro Harris. You go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm Rojana Harris. Um, glad to be a part of the whole reentry society. Something I've been longing for for the last. Let me see. I stayed incarcerated for 26 months, so this right here has been my journey that I've been waiting on to to share my story to actually let people know everything that was going on inside of prison, my struggle, my battle, you know, the whole nine yards. Right, right. So so tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing, about your life, about you. So me, my mom had four children. She was a single mom for many, many years. And um, me, I really want that beautiful life. Like we grew up a little on the poor side. So things were a bit tough. Things that I wanted and imagined, I really didn't have nobody to share that with to let them know my my whole desire and what I want to be. I just knew deep inside my soul, there was something more out there. Now, how I was going to obtain it, I didn't know. So I kind of planned my whole life in my mind's eye as to what I wanted to do. Um, growing up, I ended up dropping out of high school in probably the ninth grade. And um, after that, I kind of had like a, a bit of depression, if that makes sense. You know, I didn't know it was depression because I felt like I wasn't being loved, although I knew I was. Um, years had gone by. I had ended up giving birth to my first child. And that's when life really seemed to seep in as far as me having to bring up a child who was going to be idolizing me or looking up to me in the same aspect. It's either I was going to make it for her or I was going to break it for society and just be uh, one of those people who grew up. And sometimes all you know is just get a house, a car, a job, and then that's it. But I wanted more. So having that child really pushed me back to get my GED. And it also pushed me back to going to college, well, to school. So um, jumped into college real quick. Everything was fine, wonderful. And I was working, me and her dad was together, but I still wanted something more. I wanted to be a, a mom that was able to stay at home, take care of the kids, but what could I do? You know, what, what, what choice, you know, what, what was out there? How can I start a business? You know, what can I do to make it so that I can be at home and have that, that, that fantastic lifestyle of being that mother that can really be a mother to her child and not being so strained with the responsibility of work. So that's how the, the whole lifestyle started with me as far as my business goes. All right. And so, you, you, you know, you, you went back, you went back to school, you know, you, you positioning yourself, to, you know, saying to make it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So what happened to the point where it ended up leading you to prison? So what happened was when I started my business, everything was wonderful. The first three years, um, I did everything fairly reasonable and responsibly. I was very scared, you know, but I think around my third year is when I start trying to figure out ways to get my clients to, to, to be able to help my clients get more money, if that makes sense. So a client came in from another preparer. And as we looked at the return, I saw that there was an income called HSH income. 
Now, I will tell you, upon me finding that, I started spiking up W-2. So if you came in, it wasn't like a, a fraudulent W-2, the way people think, oh, she made fake W-2s. It wasn't like that. I was actually, if the return stated um, $2,500, then I put that you made $12,500 just to be able to get you a little bit more money. That way, to me, it looked okay. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, the feds, they have too many people. They can't just watch my stuff. You know, I, I'll do this and this will be okay. But finding out about the HSH income was another way to hide it. So I felt like I didn't have to go in and actually um, do the W-2s because that right there was annoying. But if I did that other income, then it wouldn't be a problem, so to say. And anyway, um, I started doing that. I started getting a whole lot of clients, like a, a large volume from out of nowhere. And then word around town was like, go to roll, go to roll, go to roll. But at that time, it was really depressing for me because it's like if someone came to me and an audit happened to them, then I'm the worst person in the world. And I actually had a client tell me, she texted me and told me that while I'm living the lifestyle, this lavish lifestyle, people are going behind being homeless because what happened for her situation, she got audited while everything was good on the other side for the many years she came to me, everything was great because you're getting your money. But the minute something happens, then I'm the bad person when really it was nothing I can do about that, you know? So anyway, um, I wanted to move my clients to a bigger and better office. So I talked to one of my assistants and she was like, no, I don't think we should move. She said, it sounds good, but I don't know. And me, I'm the type of person, like I act on impulse. So I went and got this other office. Everything's fine. You know, I'm at my space. Another prepares on side of me. I don't care about none of that because the only people I'm competing with are those bills. That's it. I don't care about nothing else. So a lady comes in to me and She's like, um, I come to get my taxes prepared. So I'm like, I asked my assistant, I said, do you know her? She said, no, I never seen this woman a day in my life. In my gut, I knew something was off about this lady because I kept questioning her, asking her, well, um, who referred you? You know, well, oh, well, somebody from New Orleans. I'm like, well, who? Because I know all my clients from New Orleans. She couldn't tell me. The return was supposed to get $800 done legitimately. But here I am crafty. I go in and I spike the return up to end up getting her over $4,000. So she leaves the approved, the term, return goes through. But on my heart and on my chest, for whatever reason, I couldn't let go what was going on with this lady. Something was wrong. A few days later, they did an audit on me, which was fine. No problem. Come on in. Well, the lady that did my audit, she said, Miss Harris, if you don't go back in and check these files, if the feds come in, you're going to be in some big trouble. Me, I still didn't pay attention. The next week, the feds came in. They came in. They ambushed my office. I was at home. One of my other assistants, she was trying to get me to come to my office. But I'm like, you know, I don't know what's going on. Like, something's not right. Like, all this is too much for me. So I call my landlord. I tell him what's going on. He said, no, you stay home. Let me go deal with this to find out what's going on. They have the, the cell phones up. Everybody's looking filming it, talking down about me. You know, when they say people really parade on your downfall, they really do. Like, that is a real thing. Oh, so yeah. I'm at home. Yeah, huh? I said, yeah, most definitely. They, yeah, people want to Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they see you, you know what I'm saying, doing better than them. Yeah. They know, they know it might be some um illegalness to it. Yes. Right, they yes. want to see you fall so they can get so they can find a way to get in and take your place. 
Yes, that's true. And that's very sad, especially coming from, you know, that particular environment, you know, because in my mind, all I was doing is trying to help people. Whereas for them, you know, I guess the lifestyle, I, I guess I, I'm going to put it like this. Everybody cannot handle your blessings. So what was meant for me and what I thought was going to be great for my children, everybody else look at it as a, at an envious standpoint, if that makes sense. So while I'm at home, I'm crying, freaking out. They come to my my home. We talk. Um, I really don't give them any information because I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going on. He tells me the, the agent, I'm sorry, tells me that um, he received a lot of phone calls against me and they had no choice but to act on it. So I was like, OK, let me get my attorney involved. I didn't have an attorney, you know, honestly, I didn't. But what I did was um, I kind of kept my cool. They went in. They took all the files, all the computers. I went back, looked around, you know, still like in disarray, disbelief that this has happened to me. They stripped my EFIN number. And for you viewers out there who don't know what an EFIN number, it's an e-file number that's through the IRS. So once you get there, you're able to transmit a return to the IRS. And uh, once they took that number, I was like, oh, man, I can't do this. You know, I don't have anything to go back and pay my bills and stuff. Like, what am I going to do the next year? Well, one of the ladies went through me many years prior. I called her, tell her the situation. So she lets me process returns through her so I can make it. Not knowing that that person was turning around, biting me too, telling the feds stuff about me. Like it was a whole set up, like from start to finish, a very big setup. Like I saw all the warning signs and they were there, but I didn't take heed. You know, and then uh, a lot of people want to know like the situation was it greed? Did it involve money? Was it about the money? Honestly, at that point, I could care less about the money because people don't know, although I was making 200000 plus a year, by the end of the year, I was broke. I was struggling. I was a single mom taking care of. I had uh, two houses, one my mom lived in, my own home, my main home, um, my land, my my other office on, on another side of town, like it was so much. And then I had an office in New Orleans to do a home care agency. Listen, I was stressed out. Little do people know. But for them on the outside looking in, they don't know what's going on. You know, um, after that, I go on a chase, not necessarily a chase, but I lose everything. And I'm freaking out, you know, at this point, I lose everything. I go to... Um, Virginia. I lived there for about two months. And then after I leave Virginia, I go to Texas where I resided. I'm thinking it's over. You know, this is years later. But guess what? It wasn't. The feds were still making a trace out there for me. They were still going on foot patrol, talking to people. And then I got a letter in from what was supposed to be my attorney, my um, court appointed attorney. And then that's when everything sunk back in. Like I'm thinking this is under the bus, but it's not. It's never over. Never. It's not under the bus with the feds. No. no, no, they, yeah, they made me a target of an investigation. So at this point, they really can't do anything because they're building the case on me. So my attorney gets in touch with me. We go to court back and forth. I'm having to drive, you know, X amount of hours from get to get from Texas to get to um, Louisiana to go to court. And here I am now. Honestly, the whole time I'm thinking I'm just going to do probation because that's what she tells me. Oh, you've never been convicted of a felony. You never did anything. Clean record. No worries. Oh, you're going to get probation the most. So I'm like, oh, this is nothing. Okay, probation. 
get the court my last go round for sentencing. I go in for, you know, my other pretrials and everything, go in for sentencing. And it's the point where I get up to tell the judge my story to plead my case. The judge stands up and he drops about, yeah, well, he says, you stole $1.1 million from the federal government. And that's when I know everything got real. Like, it's, it, I, I mean, that's something I'll never forget. So he said, we're going to go ahead and proceed with the sentencing. First of all, he chews me out. Let me not leave that out. Like, I, I got through all the way from here to Egypt, you know. And then after that, um, they sentenced me. And he stands up and he says, we're sentencing you to 30 months in federal prison. And that's when my whole life changed. It flashed right before my eyes. 30 months. So, yeah, so you, you think, you thinking all this is swept on the rug. Yeah. And I came a few years ago. I ain't got nothing to worry about. They just got a couple of papers, you know, a couple people done said something. Yeah. Cool. You know what I'm saying? I think it was something really going on. My, my lawyer, my public tenor. Yes. You don't holler at yes. yourself really going on. You <laughs> think everything's in the clear, then bam. Yeah. Like, nah, let me holler at you for a minute. Yes. I mean, it was surreal. It's like, you know, you not, it's something that I can't explain. I was not expecting it. I'm crying profusely. You know, I can't gather my thoughts because I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to tell my kids, my family that I'm going to be gone. Like it's something that as a woman, from a woman's standpoint, you can't really mentally prepare to leave your children behind who know you, you know? So, um, so was you on pretrial the whole time? I was on pretrial for six months. Okay, yeah, so you didn't go to no county jails or none of that. You no. Oh, so you went to court, right? I went to court. Thinking, thinking that you were going to get probation. Yeah. And the judge yep. like, nah, you stole $1.2 million from the federal government. 30 yeah. In the federal prison. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So once I did have to sit down and tell my children what was going on, I mean, it was like a blur because after that, I had to downsize my new place that I moved into and move my mom for a month. The I mean, for two months, because I had two months to surrender. The whole time I'm thinking, what can I do to get out of this? Like, you know, is there anything I can do? What can I tell them? People weren't trying to hear that. They weren't trying to hear nothing I was talking about. My attorney did tell me, Miss Harris, whatever you do, do not let the marshals come and pick you up because that's the last thing you want. So I'm like, okay. They, I get ready to go in. I'm crying like the whole six and a half hours. I cried and cried and cried like a baby because you know, I'm going into a world that I never thought that I would be in. You know, um, I had to take my weave off, my lashes off, like look the all natural me. You know, I even Google, can you wear weave in prison? Like, seriously, true story because I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, and um. I get there. My mom drops me off. Uh, we never hug because my mom, she's not an emotional person. You know, she's just just not. They leave. They drop me off like I'm just garbage, you know, and they leave. And I walk in and they ask me, well, do you know your number? I'm like, no, I don't. What number? What, what do you, What's the number? From now on, you have to remember that you're three, seven, one, six, two, zero, three, four. Don't forget that you need to learn it. I'm like, what, you know, what is going on? Like, how do I remember this? You know, so I go in and I'm in a shoe at this time. And for those of you who don't know what a shoe is, it's the hole, you know, the hole. But we call it the shoe. Right. And I sit there, they cuff me, they take me to the back and everything. And I check in and it's a jungle. Like, 
it's a jungle. They tell me, they never show me, like, you don't get orientation on this. Like, your orientation is, like, minute. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the book going in there. Yeah, the inmates are that's that's the teachers. The inmates are yeah, teaching you yeah, everything yeah, about this place. Learn, yeah, when you get in there, you'll learn orientation from the inmates, what's really going on. Yes, yes. So I'm I'm going in. They say, Oh, you're a you're a one. I'm going in, I'm looking around trying to figure out, okay, what is an A1? I don't even know what an A1 is, you know. Go to the wrong unit, they walk me back upstairs to this other unit, and I stand on the wall the wall and I cry. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, so while I'm there, I'm processing. So I know I have to be here for a certain time. Am I going to be depressed while I'm here? Am I? What am I going to do? Like, what is my whole thing that I want to do during this time, this two and a half years? What can I do? What can I get into? The minute I start talking to somebody, it's like, there's nothing here. You're not going to, it's nothing you can do. You know, just basically, there's no programming. Programming, they told you that? Oh, that's not going to happen. What you mean? So I'm stressed out again because at this point, it's like, okay, God, like, I don't know what to do. I go leave and I find a community. Believe it or not, there's like a little community that's just like me for white collar because when you go into federal prison, you're in a gumbo pot with everybody, like murderers, child molesters. I don't even know what a chomo was. I'm like, what is a chomo? You know, I find out what that is. Um, just a lot, a lot of things that I've you never... You learned in a prison lingo. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm learning. Okay, if this guard come on, you good. But if this one come on, don't do this. You know, you got to make your bed up. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, they come and they do inspection every so often. I'm like, what in the world inspection? What? What are yeah, they so, inspecting? So, you, so what was happening with you was you was transitioning from being a civilian to being a criminal. Yes. So now that you're now that you're inside of a prison, now you got to understand. How criminals really live once they're locked up. Yeah, pretty much. And then the thing about when you go in, like you're lost. Like it's gloomy to me. When I walked in, everything was dark. Like on the outside, there's colors, everything's vibrant. There's nothing but a brown suit. You have to wear that uniform when you're going in on to wreck. When you're going anywhere, you know, or uh your grays, you know, your whites. That's something that I'm not used to. Like, and then the controlling. They're so controlling and so demanding and so stern and strict. And then you want to tell the officers, listen, I'm not that person. Like, I'm actually a nice person, you know, but it doesn't matter because guess what? I'm here to do my job and you're here to serve your time. So do what you got to do while you're here, and I'm gonna do what I gotta do while I'm here. So it was really no let no let go in this situation. So I sat down, I prayed on it. And then after I prayed on it, I got up and said, you know what? I'm going to make a difference for myself. So I started training myself to get up and try to figure out things that I can learn. What can I do while I'm here for myself? What can I learn about myself as a woman? What past relationships have I been, been through that I could have made a difference with? You know, So I had to sit and, and think about everything. Like It's like all the emotions while you're in prison hit you. Things that happened many years ago hit you. Things that you could have or should have, would have done before hits you like a ton of bricks. It's nothing you can do about it. You just have to lay there and let it sink all in. So while I was there, I sat down and I uh, made myself able to become a um, a teacher. And then after that, they had the um, the program for uh, the carpentry. So I got into that. I did it for six months. And then after that, I made the decision after my first year in prison, I said, well, I tell you what. 
while I'm here. I know I can't afford it because the money I'm getting in is little to nothing, you know, but I knew how to read and I know how to study because that's all the time I had to do. So as I'm sitting there, I go into the law library and I start educating myself. What's the 841? You know, what's a, a 922? What's, you know, just different codes on everything to learn because the majority of the, the clients that I did assist that was in there were drug crimes, you know, and then a lot of them were trying to go off to RDAP or a lot were trying to go off to um to the halfway house. So I was able to sit there and retain a lot of information to help others. So what I did was with the money, I made a conscientious decision. For one, I opened up me a bank account on the outside through uh, Federal Justice Credit Union. You know, thankful for them. I was able to open up with five dollars and send a little bit here and there, which was wonderful. And then I also made a pact with myself that while I was there, whatever monies I got coming in from that day forward, I will pay for my paralegal program. It was like an achievement. It's something I really wanted to do because I didn't just want to be three seven one six two zero three four. I want to make a difference, not only for myself, but for others. A lot of depression was going on there. And me being a teacher when I was in, although I was going through the same struggle, it was easier for me to weigh out on somebody else that this is okay. You know, you're, you're going to make it. Everything's going to be fine. You know, so I made that decision to make a difference to change while I was there. So you made so you locked up, man. You you you, you realizing you understanding how prison is. You understand that you no different than anybody. You might be a good person, but the reality is you're an inmate. That in that number you gave you, that's what we yeah. see you as. That's what it's gonna be. So you made a decision to start bettering yourself. Yes. Why, why was it important to start bettering yourself inside of prison instead of waiting until you got outside of prison? Well, the reason why it was better from within, because as I've stated before you realize past mistakes that you've done. And the one thing I didn't want to feel like, I didn't want people to feel like, because they feel like when you go in, you have to learn a lesson. You know, I'm like, what lesson is there to learn? Because for, I felt like I was a decent person. Yes, I did commit a crime. I will not take that away. However, I want to show people that there's more than just going to prison and being an inmate, quote unquote. You know, there it's just like there's more to life than just living. You know, you can make a difference if you want to, if you choose to. Now, I will tell you from within, there's a lot of people that just lay around. There's a lot of people that all they have to do is sit around, eat, play cards, watch TV, and listen to music all day long because that's how they do their time. And I'm no hater at any means, whatever you need to do to do your time. But at the same time, you have to figure out what is your life's purpose? What is your goal? Are you going to sit there and let the time do you? Or are you going to do it? The feds already took their time from you. What you going to do to regain the time back? So that's a decision I had to make. So going forward, I put pressure on myself that every day I had to commit to a schedule. Every day I had to commit to a routine. Every day I had to make a service, a public service for myself and for someone else to make a difference while I did my time. And that's how I did my own time. Just trying to push it out there that, hey, yeah, we're all in here together, but we need to stick together and show others on the outside that we can do this as one. So. Right. So you, so you do your time. Now it's time for you to come on home. What what kind of plans did you have for yourself once you once they like what would you tell yourself when they release these when they let me up out of here you know this is what I'm finna do. Well, I'm glad you asked me that. I had a plan from one year to five years. My set goal was to come home. Originally was to stay by my mom for a year, stack my money up, get me a car, get me a job, go. Nope, that didn't work like that. 
when I came home the first three months, for one, I was afraid to go into stores. I was afraid of people. I was very afraid because, you know, I couldn't trust, if that makes sense. Like, I, I, I couldn't trust and I couldn't. I'm still on the edge of making people trust and believe in me because I know I'm not a monster that I was portrayed to be. Um, my first three, three months was, um, it, it was agony only from the simple fact that the year that I wanted to stay, my mom put so much pressure on me that it hurt me. You know, it's like every day she kept asking from the first month that I got out, what are your plans? What are your plans? Well, do you know when you're going to, when you're going to leave or do you know? I'm like, mom, I just, you know, I just got home. Are you really serious? You know, I ended up getting me a job at a hospital, which was great. But I also let that mentality kick back into where I knew I had to hustle to get my kids straight. So all my contracts that I had with the home care agency, I called back and got those reinforced. I told them, I said, hey, listen, we moved from Texas. We're back in Louisiana. We're rebuilding. You know, I just let them know, listen, this is what I need. They restored all my contracts. Like they never asked any questions. They really sent me out all my documents and I was just elated. I'm like, wow, that, that was just that easy. Are you serious? You know, so um, after we get kicked out from moms, one of my friends let me live there. So we stayed by her house for about three weeks. The new thing that's going on with the grants and the loans and stuff came out. So I'm pretty crafty when it comes to knowing uh, how to go ahead and type up the stuff for people and how to actually sit down and have a consultation with them as to what's going on. I was able to be blessed abundantly with that money. So when I got it, I didn't want to blow it up. Everything that I was paid, I took that money. I was able to get me my my uh, first vehicle. I got me a place to stay. I got all my furniture. Um, I still had my job. I came back home big and I started doing uh, my home care agency and then my paralegal service. I just got me an office a month ago that I moved into. And I'm so grateful, you know, because I didn't want that to go in vain. Everything I preached in prison about, oh, when I'm getting home, I'm going to do this, this and this. Because most people, when they say that, they never act on it. And although like my situation, I couldn't help the fact that I got kicked out and I had my hands tied behind my back on what I had to do. But I knew I, I had a purpose and I knew I wasn't going to give up with myself or for my kids. And I want to stick by the rules of what I stated that I was going to do for other people and show that I can do it. You know, so that's that's pretty much what I got with that. So so you so how long have you been out? I've been home 10 months. 10 months. Yep. So, you, months. so you ain't even made it to a quite a year yet. Mm -mm. So, so what's been the keys uh, of staying focused and and, and staying on track these 10 months because because you know with with re-entry trying to get back into the world you know things just not easy you know it's not doors slammed in your face people don't ain't really rocking with you like they was before people doubting you mm -hmm. people might not believe in the plans and the ideas that you have even when they asked you so what was the most important things that you had to do upon this transition um, upon this transition to stay focused you know, and, and stick to what it is that you knew that you was going to do. Well, the one thing for me, um, I'm very, I'm a very heavily focused person. And I never really let distractions of the world bother me because that's going to only take away from me as a person. I have to stick to my plan. Like I'm very conscientious about how I plan strategically and what I'm going to do. And I have to execute it. If not, I'm very hard on myself. Another thing I'd advise people to do, which is what I did. 
Stay away from the negativity. Stay away from the talk. Stay away from people who talk about, oh, because when you, before you went to prison and girl, when you went, they were saying so and so, so stay away from those people. You definitely do not want to invoke anything that's going to be negative or anything that's going to be draining to bring you down because that, that's something hard to do. You don't want to relive yourself being in the past. It's time to focus on forward. And if you can't, you'll never make it. And um, I'd also say set realistic goals. You know, and I don't mean cut yourself short and saying, oh, well, you know, they say I took a million dollars or whatever. My case wasn't that. I, I like to put that out. My case was I assisted people with money that they didn't deserve. So what I'm paying back is the, the extra monies that they receive from it. Set yourself a realistic goal, a standard, something that's attainable and be easy on yourself. Don't beat yourself up so much because already this is a cruel world and you don't need that. Another thing I also would like to point out, last but not least, is I get a lot of self-help books. When I was in prison, I didn't read a whole lot, but when I did read, I took away. So I started reading a lot of books that, that emphasize more about uh, abundance and prosperity and you know just things that was going to be a, a great magnitude for my life and my focus and my purpose for, for why I'm out and you know what I'm trying to do going forward. Right. So there's two people that... Uh... I would want to know what would you tell them? The first person is a young lady. She's probably about 18, 19, 20. She's stuck in between trying to, you know, do it the right way, do it the wrong way. What would you tell her right now? For one, your life's purpose is what you make of it. You know, you got the, the two of a, a, a higher and a lesser evil. You have to choose between the difference of the two. But I want you to know one thing that you are deserving. You are beautiful. You can do this. Stay focused. Stay level-headed. Because in the end, at some point, somebody else is sitting in the back watching you. You don't know who your next fan is. You don't know, especially like the story with me as far as it came concerning my daughter when I gave birth. I had to make a decision to sit down and say, okay, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? Do I want my daughter to look back at me and say, you know, mom, you know why we don't have this, why we don't have that, you know, I don't want them to, to think anything other than that. You can do it. You're amazing. You're a superstar. You're a queen. You got this. Okay. And the next question is somebody that you was locked up with right now on their way home, they nervous. They don't know what to do. You know, they just, they don't know if they're going to fail. They don't have really have no plan. They just ready to get out, but they might not be ready for real. What advice did you have them for them about to get out about? Like they finna come home tomorrow. What would you tell them? When you get ready to come out, before you even come home, I don't care if it's the day before, sit down and put a plan in place. Because if not, everything is going to go haywire. Whether that plan is a good plan, and not necessarily a bad plan, I'm not going to say that, but it has to be baby steps. Don't rush yourself. Take your time. Because that world is going to keep spinning, even when you're not there, just like it was when we were incarcerated. Take your time. Don't rush. Be gentle. Be easy. Concentrate. Stay focused. And don't run back in the same crowd that got you where you were already at. That's not something you want to do. That's right. And so, um, you know, you were talking about your children. Mm -hmm. So what was it like coming back home, trying to transition and be back into your children's life? It was difficult only for the fact that um, my mom, for the whole two and a half years, my mom had them 
doing things opposite as to what I would have them doing. But in a good way, you know, my mom had them cleaning up, washing dishes, and I'm in prison freaking out like, no, they would never. And my mom was like, girl, shut up. They love washing dishes. Watch this. You know, I think it was hard on me while I was incarcerated only because I've never been away from them like that. You know, and every time I thought about it, my baby was one when I went in. So just to remember, every time I laid in that cell, remembering that she looked back, not knowing what mommy was going to go at, that hurt me. Like, it really did something to me. So coming back home in her life, I had to take baby steps with her as well because she didn't know me. She knew I was mommy, but mommy who? You know, I, I don't know you, you know, and then I couldn't press them so much. Like, I, I wanted to be that mom to be like, Y'all, don't worry about nothing. We got this. You know, don't worry about nothing. Momo say, but that's wrong. I can't recondition something that's already there. Like my mom was already doing a hell of a job taking in my children when really they could have been in the foster system, but they were not. They were with her. They were with family, you know, because I've witnessed that a lot of women in prison, they have nowhere for their children to go. A lot of them are in foster system or a lot of them with family members that are abusive or reckless or, you know, I think that people don't understand that not only this is a, a mental uh, onset for you with, with you going in, but it's also for your family and for your children. You know, this, this is something that's hard. This is not something that's uh, easy pill. Or, oh, I'm going to prison. I'll be back. It's not like that. Every day you live with that burden on your chest every day. Right. So, yeah. So um, we got one question right here. Okay. You telling your story, they said. Uh, they said, uh, "That's brutal." Why did you get blindsided like that, Miss Harris? Like blindsided how? Um, I think they well, I think it was, I think they put that up when you was telling the story about you know with the uh, the judge and the probation, and you know them, you know <clears throat> you turning turning yourself in, or you thinking that it was over. And they came back around with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll explain. For me, and I thank you for that question. For me, I think it was more of a lack of uh, understanding of the federal system or any system because I had never been into any trouble before. So I've never gotten in trouble with the law or anything. And although you're right, I probably should have went in and done my own research. And I tried. But understand, pressure will burst a pipe. So while they were on foot patrol doing all this, my whole, my, I, I wasn't thinking like, let me pull out the book and try to figure out stuff. Because honestly, everything they read about me and my discovery, it hurt me and it tore me down. So I didn't want to look and see that I was going to serve some time in prison. That's the last thing that was on my mind. Like, you know, I'm educated on it now. I know one thing that I should have fought with the money. You know, I should have did this. I should. But at that point in time, I was hysterical, you know, and then I was pregnant with my daughter you know, and then I had my other children to fend for. And then with us losing our home, we were homeless. You know, so I had a, an, an event of uh, un, a lot of un, un, a lot of unfortunate events going on at one time. Like it was catastrophic. Like it was a gorilla tangoing, doing a tango on my chest because I really didn't know what to do. I didn't really know who to consult with either. So I was stuck. Right. And so when uh you saying you didn't know one anybody to consult with, like you didn't really know nobody that had been to prison or no, no, so no. Honest to God, like I, I didn't like because 
I didn't really associate myself with a lot of people. Like I was the type of person I still am. I'm a loner, you know? So if I have things going on or a situation going on, I'm the type of person that keep everything private and try to figure it out, you know, but when that pressure was on me and that was some pressure, pressure, I couldn't figure out nothing. Like, it's like I went wacko, you know, I, like I stressed my own self out, like literally stressed my own self out. Right. And it's a different feeling when you stand in there and they saying that yeah, your name, your name yeah. versus the United States of America, huh? Yes, yes. That's different. That That's a whole different horse of another color, honey. Yes, it is. Right. So you 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 have this reentry journey you got out mm -hmm. you know went through some things but you kept your focus and you back you know you back to where you wanted to be so what's next for you what's next for me right now um i'm really pushing hard in the the home care industry and i'm also pushing hard for prisoners with the with my paralegal services only because the prisoners don't have an advantage like you're limited to access to a lot of things and the books and materials that they do have is very, very limited. Like it's old, you know, so what I do, a lot of them go in and email me. I'm in touch with all my friends that were in prison. They email me. And if I can help with a case, I'll type everything up, see what I can research on this end, mail it to them, get it to the courts. And we all strategically think it out together. Um, my focus right now, my mission is the incarcerated only because the limited support, you know, it's one of those communities that's a little different and odd, but unique at the same time, you know, cause it's all like family. You're all supportive of one another because nobody knows the pressures of the inside unless you've been inside. Right. You try, you try to be out here like, uh, what's that TV show, uh, for life? <laughs> you ever seen that TV show for life? No, no, never. Oh yeah. It's about, uh, the guy that was locked up. And he ended up getting his law degree while he was locked up. Nice. He got himself out of prison. And now, you know, Sandy, he goes back and he, you know, he it's based on a true story. I just can't think of the guy's name right now. Yeah, you're going to be just like him. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to do it because, you know, I know when I was there, like, I, you beg for family to send, hey, can you please send this? Hey, can you? Mm -mm, no. These people are busy out here. And I've witnessed it myself being busy out here myself, you know, but. Um, a lot like with the COVID strike and everything, I'll try to send them information about stuff like that. Or if it's something I can do as far as reach out to a family member for them, I'll do things like that. Like, you know, that right there, because I've been there. So I know how it is on a, on a different uh, side. Right. So any final words that you would like to, like the people that's tuning in, any final words? Because all of us, we've gone through the reentry journey. Are we playing some kind of role? in helping people make a successful re-entry a lot of people that's in this group either been to prison or they with some kind of organization that help people mm -hmm. getting out of prison so any final words that you would like to say to the group yes what i want to say to the group is stay focused this right here journey is not over i mean i know a lot of people say oh you shouldn't tell people that you've been to prison because i got a lot of that saying you know oh don't tell people that listen that is my my purpose in life. That was my life's purpose. That was a footprint within my whole journey of being here on this earth. And I'll never take that experience away from me. You can do it. This right here is something that happened, but going forward, you are the best. You rock. You are amazing. Don't give up. When the times are tough, just sit there and meditate. 
Like that's a, a big thing that I learned while I was in there to sit and actually let everything come to a halt and just meditate. Like take all that energy in, but the positive energy, stay focused, move forward, be, be your own savior, you know, do what you can to, to do, make it a habit to do something to something positive for somebody every day. I don't care if it's, Hey, how you doing? You know, how's I don't know what somebody's going through and what their struggle is, but I know the, the most important thing for me is send out positive vibes every day if you can to anybody. All right, now y'all, there we have it. That's the goal, man. Every day, send out a positive vibe to somebody and be of a service. You know, yes. serve sometimes. Quit always trying to, to gather because part of the transition is doing some service. Part of your re-entry is getting with people and helping people. You know, even if it's just sharing your story amongst a group. You know, if you're getting out there, you might be helping Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. You might be helping other different goodwill and things like that. But be of some service. You got to make sure you got to serve as well. If you want, you must serve. Yeah. So we appreciate you having you on tonight. Again, thank you for being a guest. I thank wish you, you all the good luck in your future journey and the roles that you take. And uh, all I can say is just don't ever go back to prison. That's my no. one thing. That's my <laughs> one thing to all guests and everybody yeah. In my group, we don't ever go back. Once you're out, let's stay out. That's the yeah. goal. That's the plan. Ain't no plan B. The plan A is never is never go back to prison. Stay out of prison. Yeah. You know? And that's gonna you have to learn how to be a civilian and not a criminal. Yes, so, that's true. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh tuning in. We we really enjoy having you and the Thank you guys. Um, well, hopefully you join our group and drop some knowledge and some gems in the group as well from here from time to time. Thank you. All right, you have a good day. You too, thank you. Thank you.